If you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 49. We're running just a wee bit behind. So I'll keep it to an hour, but I know you got roast in the oven. But I want to share something with you that's, that's very dear to my heart, very uh, important in my life. The two passages come out of Isaiah 49, starting around verse 14. This is the Lord speaking, and He says, But Zion, Israel or Jerusalem, said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever felt like that? The Lord responds by saying, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may in fact forget, I will never forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. And then from Isaiah chapter 66, another beautiful passage where God draws an analogy between what He feels and hopes for and and that of a mother. The Lord says this, starting in verse 12. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of the nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arms and dangled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that you'd release me from trying to make my words big enough to communicate your love. You're capable of doing that on your own, Lord God, and I just pray that through your Spirit you'd make them big enough. Help us to see beyond our limited views of you, just how radical your love is. We pray in your name. Amen. I'd like to speak this morning very briefly on the motherly love of God. The motherly love of God. The minute you associate the word mother with God, it's like someone told me just before the service, what is this, Earth Day or something? Because there's a lot of uh, unusual, unique, strange, weird, bizarre teachings and religious practices that are going on that associate themselves with God as mother. And so a person has to be very cautious when they're going to talk about the motherly anything of God. There's a, it comes under the large umbrella of the New Age movement, and there's a lot of people running around, writing books, doing dances in the fields of Montana about God as mother, worshiping the earth goddess, Gaia, they sometimes call the earth goddess. And uh, in fact, there's been some recent radical feminist books written about dethroning God the Father and setting up the mother god, the goddess. So the minute you associate the word mother with God, you have that to come against. And we've got to be very clear that that has nothing to do with Christianity, that has nothing to do with the Bible, that has nothing to do with correct teaching. At the same time, we don't want to be guilty of overreacting, as the church sometimes does, against error to the point where you lose biblical truth. Biblical truth, and this needs to be said as clear and as straightforward and as loud as possible, Biblical truth proclaims that women are made in the image of God. 
got to be an amen out there somewhere. Women are made in the image of God. And this hasn't been seen all the time. In fact, it hasn't usually been seen. Throughout church history, we have church theologians, all of them male, writing from a male perspective. And it's always been assumed that God is more masculine than feminine, so men are more in the image of God than women. St. Augustine went so far as to say that when a woman goes to heaven, she'll turn into a man. It's getting hot in here. Who was this St. Augustine guy? And other times it was taught that, the, that, that women can only be in the image of God if they're married to a man and, and things of that sort. But the Bible says that in the beginning God made them male and female. In the image of God, He made them. Genesis 1.27 Femininity, as much as it's been disparaged sometimes in our culture and it seems to be almost equated with negative stuff, and this is so unfortunate, but femininity, womanhood, is a gift from God and reflects something about God in the same way that masculinity is a gift from God and reflects something from God. Womanhood and motherhood reflect something of God's character and the role of a mother in a child's life is as the role of a father in a child's life is, is to model God. And we can't limit God to just one set of the parents, one, one person of the set of parents. God contains both. So I'd like to talk about something of the motherly love of God. And Isaiah, there's, there's, there's two aspects of, of God's motherly love that I want to talk about briefly this morning. And they come from the two passages that we read. The first has to do with Isaiah 66. It's also mentioned in Isaiah 49. It has to do with the comforting compassion of a mother. The comforting compassion of a mother. Well, sometimes we're usually pretty good at getting down, getting down pat that God is judge, God is powerful, God is strong, God is, is, is ruler, God is king, God is all of these sorts of things. And sometimes if that's not balanced off a little bit, people get the picture, and a lot of Christians have this picture, of a, a, of a God that has no mercy and has no compassion. It needs to be balanced out with this other emphasis that we find in verses such as we read this morning, that God is a God of compassion. The word compassion in Hebrew, the root of the word compassion is womb. Think about that, womb. And the literal meaning is womb-like love or womb-like understanding. The kind of love and the kind of understanding that is associated with the person from whose womb you've come. There is a special bond that occurs between a mother and her child. Given the fall and given some people's histories, this can get complex and sometimes it's not there. But in the created order of things, in the natural order of things, there's a bondedness that the Bible realizes that occurs between a mother and her son and her mother and her daughter. Something about coming forth from your womb. This is your flesh and blood. There's an immediacy. And nursing at your breast forms a bond there that's special and unique. Fathers need to participate in that and strive to attain that, but it's there in God's created nature on the part of a mother. Now, it doesn't matter much what the baby looks like. It doesn't matter much if the baby spits up on you. It doesn't matter much with the, if the nose is the right length or anything. What matters is that this baby came from you, and that makes it your baby, and there's a bond there. I knew a man when I was going to, to graduate school at Princeton. There was a man there who was a seminary student. His name was Jack, and he and his wife had had, two years previous to this, uh, a baby. 
And the baby was the, the baby was severely deformed. Where there should have been a nose and a mouth, this baby had a, a very, very severe cleft palate. In fact, there's nothing but a cavity there in the face. There was two eyes that were loosely hung in, in the eye sockets. The eye sockets were too big for the eyes, and there's actually openings around the eyes. So the eyes were dry, drying out. But there's also this large cavity for a face. And this man would share with me some of the struggles that that produced for him. And for him, and it's easy maybe to condemn him for this, but we need just to understand where he's at. He had trouble accepting this child as his own. He would say to me sometimes with tears, Greg, the baby doesn't look like a human being. She's had 27 operations in her two-year life, and, and it hasn't improved things much at all. And I have trouble accepting this child as my own. I have trouble feeding this child. In fact, I, can't, I haven't been able to feed this child for a year because he said when, when you feed this child, even after 27 operations, when the child would spit up food, a lot of times because there was no walls where there should have been nasal passages, the food would sometimes ooze out of the eyes. And it would repulse him so bad that he couldn't feed this child. And he was embarrassed to be around this child out in public, didn't want anyone to see this child. He just couldn't deal with it. But what amazed him, he said, was how his wife got past that. How his wife got over that. It was hard for her. It would be hard for any parent. But in time, she got to love that child. It didn't matter what the child looked like. It didn't matter how the child ate. Sometimes he would say that he couldn't hardly stand to look at this child, but the wife would say, you're not looking close enough. This is a beautiful child. To this mother, this child was a gift of God. Rachel was her name. And Rachel's way of eating is just a special way of eating. There's a bond there that goes beyond the obstacles and sees beauty where maybe other people don't see beauty and therefore can comfort that child and give that child unconditional love where others couldn't do that. And I don't know what the life of this child's going to be growing up. They didn't know how brain damaged she was. But one thing is, is clear, and that's, that's that this little girl is going to have a tough life. But she's going to have at least one person in her corner at all times, and that's going to be her mother. Because she came from her mom's womb and is the recipient of that mother's womb-like love. The Bible calls compassion. And it does something very deep in my life, very profound in my life, just to consider that that is something of what God's love for me is like. This mother with her love is in the image of God. And that's God's love for us is something like that. The Lord says He wants to comfort us and have compassion upon us. A womb-like love towards us. A womb-like understanding towards us. And it does something for me to know that regardless of how I look physically and regardless of how I might look spiritually, and sometimes I don't look all that good, God's love goes past it. God's love loves through that. You need to know that there's nothing you can do and there's nothing you can say that's going to change the fact that you come from God. And therefore, that's going to alter God's womb-like love towards you. And it may even be that this morning you're here and you've made yourself deformed, or at least that's how you experience yourself. You've, you've rearranged your own face, maybe from sin in your life or from the adulterous affair that you have or the way you treated your own kids or the several divorces you've been through or the abortion that you experienced. You feel disfigured, you feel disformed, and, and when you think about it, you don't think God can look at you, that God winces when He looks at you, or doesn't want to look at you at all, wants to push you away, and your job is to sort of claw back and get God's attention. But you need to know that this baby didn't have to earn this mother's love. Even when we spit back at God the food He tries to give us, and we do do that sometimes, you don't need to earn this mother's love. God has this womb-like love. 
The only thing God wants to do is to comfort us, to have compassion on us. Womb-like love. God has a comforting, compassionate, womb-like love towards us. The second feature of God's motherly qualities has to do with God's persistent love. God has a mother's persistent love. In Isaiah 49, the passage where Israel says, the Lord has forgotten us, the Lord has abandoned us, and the Lord responds by saying, never. What's going on with Israel is this. Israel has been for almost a century forsaking God. Since the time of David, Israel has been going down its own path, has been rejecting God, following after idols, and therefore had brought about upon itself destruction. And they were just in the process of being taken captive by Assyria, a very evil nation. They were, one passage in, in, in Isaiah says, the way they would, the Assyrians would lead them captive, and this was a practice at the time, is they'd put like fish hooks in their lips and they'd drag them along. And God is watching Israel being taken captive like this. And, and God is seeing the pain that is going to be inflicted upon her child, Israel. And now seeing Israel crying out, you've forsaken us, you've forsaken us. And the Lord says to Israel, never Could a mother ever forget the child that she nursed? Could a mother ever forget the child that came from her own body? No. But even if she could, the Lord says, even if she could, I could never forget you because I've even gone beyond that. And here comes a messianic prophecy about the love of Jesus. I've engraved your name on the palms of my hands. How could I ever forget you? You're there. You're permanent. You're a permanent part of who I am. And all the while, God's portraying Himself here as the mother who's whose intense love for her child has turned to intense horror at what's happening to the child. Even though it's the child's own fault, there's a motherly terror in the heart of God seeing this happen. The person I think of when I I consider this passage is Patty Wetterling. uh, Four years ago, Patty Wetterling had her son, Jacob, uh, abducted, kidnapped. He was nine years old. And I, that, that did something to me. It shook me up real profoundly, and I've thought a lot about it. I wrote letters to her. I did a fundraising run for her. I just received a letter from her uh, about a week ago. And she is, in my mind, just a, a hero of strength. There's a certain kind of feminine strength that is so powerful. It's the strength of a mother. And I can scarcely begin to imagine what her life is like. I don't know how I'd go on in this kind of situation. What her life is like living with the reality that her son has been taken captive. I would imagine that she hears his laughter when she hears other kids laugh. Maybe sometimes she even turns because she thinks she heard his voice. Maybe you'd see his face in a crowd. You'd look and for a moment, just a moment, you'd think that you saw him. He'd never be out of your mind. He'd never be out of your dreams. He'd be there all the time and so you'd be always looking. Always looking. Maybe he'll turn up here or there. And some people ask, how can you for four years go on having hope against hope? For four years, she's just been searching and she puts on these talks and is making people aware of this. But you have to understand a womb-like love that says, never, what, how, how could I ever forget? It'd be easy if I could forget and get it out of my mind, but a mother can't. Never forget. And will I ever give up? No. Never give up. So long as there's the tiniest, tiniest bit of hope, never give up. The only desire that would be there on the heart of Mrs. Wetterling is to just have a time where you could comfort your son. 
to hold your son one more time on your lap, to dangle him as the passage says, to dangle him on the knee. Think of the memory that you'd have and how tormenting that would be. And it fuels you to keep on persisting, to follow, to search, to look out. Do you know that for God, I wonder if we can believe this. I have trouble believing it, but, I, but it's scriptural. For God to lose a single person in this congregation, any person here, and it doesn't matter what your past is like or what you look like or what condition you're in right now, for God to lose any one of you or for God to lose me is a nightmare in the, mo- in the motherly heart of God. To have you taken captive causes God that kind of pain. Mrs. Wetterling is in the image of God. What she's reflecting with her eyes of love and the eyes of pain that she has now is something, just a little, a little example, if you can imagine it, of God's love for us. If you're here this morning and you're captive, you've been taken captive, maybe an area of your life has been taken captive to sin. You feel like that, it's your own doing, it's your own fault, so you've got to get your way out of it. You've got to know that God has got a Mrs. Wetterling's heart after you. And maybe you're here this morning and your heart's been taken captive by depression. Has that ever happened to you? You're just engulfed by depression. And you feel isolated and you feel abandoned, but you've got to know one thing, that God is looking for you. He hasn't forsaken you and He'll never ever forget you. And he's, His love drives Him towards you. You've got to know that if, you're, if your life has been swallowed up and being captive to pain or you've experienced rejection and you can't trust anyone now and you can't even trust God and so you put God at bay, you need to know that that doesn't change a womb-like love towards you that God has. That God's motherly love is intense and burning towards you and striving after you. And even when your spirit is captive by rebellion, we get like that sometimes. For various reasons, we rebel, we, we want to push God away, we want to go our own direction, run down our own road, have nothing to do with, with our, our God. You need to know that even that does not squelch God's intense love towards you. That God pains over you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Or maybe you're a believer and you're way on the back burner. And you feel unqualified. The only thing I want you to know this morning is that you may think that you're looking for God, but what's more fundamental is that God's looking for you. God's looking for you. And if Mrs. Wetterling, if Jacob had, let's say, if his abduction was to some degree his own fault, maybe he was riding his bike too late at night and his mom told him he should have come in, or he was going down a road that his mom said never go down, or he didn't, he didn't follow the instructions about walking away from strangers. What if it was to some degree his own fault for being abducted? Do you think upon their reunion that Mrs. Wetterling would give a second to that kind of consideration? It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. The only thing that matters is now you're on my lap, and that's where I've always wanted you to be. And it's the same way with you. How you got in the situation you're in, this doesn't really matter that much. Not next to the consideration that God wants you home. And this morning, I hope you can just get a little glimpse of the love of God towards you and that that love will melt whatever calluses you have in your heart that are pushing God away. Because that's the kind of love God has. Let me close by just sharing with you why I, 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 I get... Mother's Days are always a little bit weird for me. And let me close by just sharing with you why and what it means to me. It's kind of why it's hard to talk about it. When my mom died when I was two from leukemia. I don't remember her at all, but I know she loved me. My father was in a desperate situation with four kids, and and quite soon after my mom's death, 
met another lady who was in a desperate situation and, and they ended up getting married, mainly to help each other in their desperate situations. I don't think they said this a couple years down the road, that it was a marriage of convenience. And there was a lot of strife in this family. There's a lot of uh, warfare and charges of favoritism that you don't love my kids the way you love your own kids. And then she would respond by saying, well, you don't love my kids the way you love your kids. And there's a lot of strife here. And the truth of the matter is that I never, I never did feel loved by my stepmother. I don't remember, and maybe it happened, but I don't have a clear memory of ever being hugged by her or being told I love you by her. I don't remember that. She had some aberrant forms of punishment. I remember that. But I don't remember the love. I remember growing up and sometimes envying other kids' moms. I remember watching Lassie and wishing I had that kind of a mom. That woman that Amelia Earhart, no, not Amelia Earhart, whatever her name was, Earhart something. I got a mom that flies around the world. But I, I used to think, oh, what would it be like to have a mom like that? Or I'd spend time at other kids' houses just to be around their mom. I didn't like them at all, but I wanted to be around their mom. I remember as a little Catholic boy being in church. We used to have these statues of saints, and one of the saints was Mary. I remember sitting down there praying. Couldn't have been more than six, seven years old. Looking at Mary and thinking to myself, Jesus, do you know how lucky you are? Because you're always smiling at this little baby. And I just thought that that was so lucky. Most of this was more at an unconscious level than a conscious level, but there was always this longing. My parents were divorced when I was 12, and, and I didn't feel any remorse out of that at all. In fact, it was a happy day for me. I had, from an early age, set myself against her. I, I, I made a little covenant saying, I'm not going to love you because I don't think you love me. And so I got tough, and I, I rose above it. And it never bothered me. And when I got divorced, I don't remember skipping a beat. It didn't, didn't phase me at all. And I thought she was out of my life. I thought that was it. Good, fine, done. But she wasn't out of my life. There was an anger there. There was a a resentment that was there, and I carried it around with me, though I didn't know about it. And it colored my perception of everything. I I, I didn't know it at the time, but it affected my view of women, especially women who tend to be like my stepmother. Buzzers went off all over the place. Affected my view of, uh, of the world. It developed a kind of a cynicism in me and a rebellious streak in me. You can't have resentment and bitterness towards a person and not have it pollute your whole life. It's just, it's just we can't compartmentalize our lives. If there's one person in your life that you hate, you maybe forget about them and it's way down there beneath the surface, below the unconscious level, but it's going to affect your whole life. I became a Christian when I was 17. And a couple of years later, the Lord said, Greg, we've got to deal with this. I didn't even know I had an, an issue. The Lord said, it's time to deal with this. And through a process of time, the Lord revealed to me something that was very profound. He revealed to me, the number one, that I had this, this grudge against my stepmother. And he revealed to me how, why I had this grudge towards my stepmother. Because I had a need to be loved by a mom. That's the way we're made. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a weak thing. It's just a true thing. I needed at the age of 20 to be loved by a mom. A mother's love. I had this emptiness inside of me. And the difference between my need for a mother's love and what I got, the gulf between that is what created the resentment, the resentment and the anger and the bitterness. And so it is with all the issues of anger and bitterness in my life. The Lord said, Greg, it's time to let her go and to be free. Because as long as you have this resentment, you're not free. It doesn't affect her at all, but it's killing you. You need to forgive her. I said, Lord, how can I forgive her? I, I can't just... I can say I forgive her. Okay, you say so, I'll say I forgive you. 
But how do you change the inner heart? How do you change your disposition towards someone? I know that there are people here this morning that have that same issue. How do you start loving when you hate? How do you let go and forgive when, when there's anger there? You just can't turn it on and off like some light switch. The Lord said this to me, Greg, I can give you what you need. I can do that. I'm the one who made mothers. You think I don't know how to mother? Will you let me fill that role in your life? A part of me said, Wait, you're a man. You can't do that. The Lord basically said, Don't put a box around me. Will you let me give you what you're looking for? I know what you're looking for more than you do. At the age of 20, 21 maybe, I, for the first time, felt what it was like to be really hugged by a natural mother. In a spiritual way, and I know that maybe sounds a little bit bizarre, but receive it. At the age of 20, finally being hugged and cradled by a mother who loved me like, like the Virgin Mary loved Jesus. Who bounces me on the knee, like, like Isaiah 66 says, who has a womb-like love towards me. And maybe it looks strange and it sounds bizarre, but it heals the soul. And you see, when that vacuum in my life for a mother was filled up, then I was empowered to let go because I no longer needed to be angry. All growth out of anger is about that. Growing out of your need to be angry. Growing out of your need to be bitter. Growing out of your need to withhold forgiveness. And it's the way healing and health comes. This morning I don't know how to apply that except to say receive from God all that God wants to give you. God, Jesus says I want to be your all in all. In 1 Corinthians, I want to be your all in all. Some of you need a mother's love from God. We all need to see more clearly God's motherly love. Others of you need to see more clearly God's fatherly love. What we need from God, God wants more to give us more than we even want to receive it. Receive it. And maybe there are some here this morning that Mother's Day isn't a happy time for you and you need to forgive your mothers. Mothers are never perfect. Sometimes they're far from imperfect and that can hurt us. You can't try to do that. All you can do is receive from God. And this is what I implore you to do. Receive from God God's mother-like love. Let it fill you and release the anger and the bitterness that's in your life.